0: Good morning. Good morning. We want to welcome you to East L.J. Baptist Church today. We're so glad you're here. Uh, kind of a dreary morning, but um, what a what a joy to come together and worship our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Jesus has captivated us. We have seen God's glory in the face of Jesus, and we have been captivated by Him. We've seen God's goodness and mercy and love, His grace freely given through the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. And we are here to spread our enjoyment of His beauty with our world. We hope you'll see Him today and be captivated by Him as well. I want to uh, give a quick thank you to, um, <coughs> to uh, Ken and Susan Malinstra and Bill and Deb Emery. They uh, helped out Howie Weberg this week, uh, packing up some of his belongings so that he can soon get moved to be with his son and daughter-in-law in alabama so thank you to the Emery's and the melinstras for serving uh, uh mr howie in that way i want to invite you to stand with me and as we stand we're going to find somebody that we don't know and introduce ourselves see several new faces so find somebody you don't know and, and make yourself uh, known to them All right, if you'll make your way back to your seats, and you may be seated. Our reading from God's Word this morning is from Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Aren't you so thankful that you know the gospel this morning, that you know the truth about the once-for-all sacrifice that's been made for sins, the final sacrifice for sins, even Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And only Jesus can purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That is the gospel. It is the gospel uh, that that has been extended to the whole world. Uh, Sadly, even today and, and, and even as... The author of Hebrews wrote his letter, but even today, the nation of Israel uh, has yet to come to see Jesus as their Messiah. We are praying for Israel, especially in these days, and in light of that, one of our missionaries is uh, Murray Tillis with Lot of Messiah Ministries, and Miss Mary from, Mary Abernathy from our Foreign Missions Committee is going to come and give us an update about um, the work of Lot of Messiah Ministries, we will be receiving our offering for foreign missions this morning, our quarterly offering for foreign missions on your way out. And so um, also, Mary, you you come on up, and she'll tell you the rest. So there we go.
1: God's providence is so wonderful. We had planned this particular emphasis on our Jewish ministries several weeks ago before any of the happenings of this week. But in light of what has happened this week, I'd like to read you an excerpt from uh, the Light of Messiah Ministries prayer prayer letter dated October 10th. Uh, Light of Messiah Ministries and Murray and Elena Tillis, who are the head of that ministry, are going to be with us on November 10th and more information, November 12th, excuse me, and more information will be coming forward about that but just um, listen to his letter and hear the cry for his people. Dear friends of the Jewish people, because of the brutal, horrific, evil, and tragic attack on Israel on Saturday morning, October 7th, life was changed in an instant for the Israelis and the Jewish people around the world forever. Many people lost their homes, their lives, they lost moms and dads and children, other relatives. They're traumatized. They are afraid. Hostages have been taken. Israel is now having to make decisions that have enormous geopolitical impact and ramifications. We have spent expensive, extensive time communicating with those we love in Israel. They are all shell-shocked, grieving, processing the tragic events of the last three days. In light of Murray's letter he did send very specific prayer requests and I thought it would be appropriate this morning if we would just pray now for what he asked us to pray for in this letter. So if you'll join me in prayer we'll pray as Murray requested we pray as a church. Father God we pray for the safety of the hostages that have been taken and their rescue and release. We pray for all the victims of these horrific attacks, for their healing, and for their families. Father, we pray for the Israeli Defense Forces which have been called to the front lines, for their children and their families, that all will remain strong. Father, we pray for international support to Israel, that they will remain strong as they retaliate. We pray for the government of Israel to have wisdom and seek your guidance and regroup well. We pray for tour groups that might be left there, Father, that they would be protected and be able to return home safely. Father, we pray for all ministry workers and their families who are still in Israel to be protected and be covered. Father, we ask prayer specifically for the Light of Messiah Ministry staff as they are in need of strength and encouragement. Father, we also pray specifically that the gospel be strongly proclaimed to all involved, even to our enemies during this time. May the Lord God of Israel please bring peace in the midst of this horribly tragic situation. May he make himself known to those who do not yet know him. May he bring comfort to the grieving and hope to the hopeless. But most importantly, Father God, may Jesus make himself known and be glorified in this entire situation. We pray, Father, gratefully in the name of Messiah Jesus, who is the protector and sustainer of Israel and savior of all It is in his most precious name and the power of his blood that we bring this prayer to you amen and this letter was signed the light of Messiah Ministries team please put November 12th on your calendars as Murray Tillis who is the director of light of Messiah Ministries will be speaking to us three times on that day and plan to attend you'll be hearing more about that later as you confidently and boldly approach the throne of grace this week, as you think of Israel and what's happening into the Jewish people on a daily basis, be admonished to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and the peace of Israel as psalm one twenty two six admonishes us to do, and as we pray for this truly unreached people group, I just ask, ask as you pray for Israel and the Jewish people this week that you would particularly pray that during this time many may come to know Jesus, their true Messiah and their Savior.
0: Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. I want us to go to the Lord in prayer and remember a number who are sick and grieving. Um, So join me as we we pray. Father, thank you that we can come to you boldly in the name of Jesus, Lord, because uh, of what Christ has done. Uh, Lord, there has been a a new and living way opened up. And uh, we do pray for uh, Israel, Lord, especially this morning. We pray for some of our own uh, members here um, who have family there right now. And we pray for those family members. God, we pray for uh, the family of Noah West this morning. we pray for your comfort. God, we pray for Laje Aiken and her family. continue to lift up Trisha Patterson and uh, Lord, she had another little fall this week. We pray that she would just give wisdom and strength there. Father, we continue to lift up Scott Wald and Stacy Parker. We pray for Angie and Larry Callahan. Uh, Lori pray for Kathy Rickard and Mary Milton, for Arveline Wallace and Sam Burrell. pray for Vicki Waters and Angie Whitener, Tina Johnson and Billy Duncan. We lift up George Wester. And God, we continue to pray as we have been for um, the last several days for Wil- Wilburn D- D4, and we thank you for a good report this morning, some improvement there. We praise you for that. God, we thank you for the birth of the Hensley twins, and as they came uh, quite early, we pray you continue to strengthen them, and and Nikki and, and Lee as well. Lord, we rejoice in the privilege of prayer. We thank you that we can call you Father, and that you call us your children. What an amazing thing it is to be the children of the living God. May we live in the fullness of the privileges that are ours, even as we seek to show your goodness to the world by how we live and in in the word of our testimony as well. Father, we thank you for this time to worship. I pray that your spirit would come. Enable us, Lord, to exalt Christ in our singing. May Jesus be lifted up. May you then draw men, women, boys, and girls to yourself. May we... Find in him our satisfaction. God, our our hearts delight this morning. And as we do, may you be glorified in our midst. For you and you alone are worthy. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay.
2: But well, let's stand together and sing, and even as these talented singers lead us in different songs, it kind of looks like a solo, but it's not, so let's all sing together and just rejoice in uh, singing praises to our Savior. We're going to sing same power to start with. up. We will not be overtaken. We will not be overcome. I can't walk down this dark and painful road. I can't face every fear of the unknown. I can't hear all God's children sing
0: worthy is your name you're worthy because you willingly left the glory of heaven to be born of a woman to be born under the law and to perfectly fulfill the law in the place of sinners be tempted in all ways as we are and yet without sin and then to go to the cross as the spotless Lamb of God and there according to the Father's will have all of our sin laid upon you and as you died on that cross you bore the curse of the law, the curse of God, the wrath and justice of holy God against my sin And you fully endured it in our place. And you died. Three days later, Lord, you rose in victory over sin. Proving that the price had been fully paid. Proving that the work of salvation was completely and forever finished. You, Lord, and you alone are worthy of all of our praise. And God, today, I pray that if there's anyone here who's yet to trust you, that they would, as we sang earlier, venture on Jesus and venture wholly. Lord, I pray that they would trust you with all that they have. And for us who are your people, God, even renew our faith and the fullness thereof in Jesus today. Remind us of how worthy He is, how trustworthy He is, how sure is the word of the gospel for our souls. And Lord, to think that now, as your people, we have the same power that rose Jesus from the dead living in us, it's amazing. God help us to walk in that power, to not live anemic lives as the children of the living God, as joint heirs with Jesus, as those in whom Jesus dwells by the Spirit. May we get out of your way. Let your glory shine through us as we love God and love others with all that we are. For you and you alone are worthy. Thank you for your word. We praise you for the privilege to open it now. We pray that you, by your spirit, would be our teacher. God, we come in weakness this morning. We come weary in ourselves this morning, but we thank you that in our weakness you are strong that your power is made perfect in our weakness. So we ask, God, that even now, your spirit would move in our hearts, that you would transform our minds, and that Jesus would be lifted up for all to see and marvel at. Embrace and surrender to. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Alright, we'll be dismissed to Children's Church. And as they're making their way out, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. I want to start with a question this morning. Y'all ready? Is your conscience clear this morning? You know, it's funny, when we hear that question, we automatically get nervous because we wonder if the person asking us knows something, (laughs) knows something that maybe we've forgotten about, especially if we're feeling pretty good about things at the moment. Is your conscience clear this morning? Now, you all know what I mean when I ask that question, but what is our conscience? Well, we've all got one. And it is that spiritual dimension of the image of God indelibly imprinted on our souls by which we feel guilt and shame when we do wrong and joy and comfort when we do right. It's that facet or function of our souls by which our moral deeds, be they good or evil, are subjectively registered. There, uh, there's a verdict given on what we've just done or said inwardly and within our hearts. Everyone has a conscience, even non-Christians who've yet to be born again by the Spirit. Romans 2 indicates that pagans who've never heard of God's law know the basics of, of right and wrong laid out in God's law as a function of their God-given conscience. Our conscience sounds the alarm that we have thought, said, or done something that has incurred real guilt before holy God. Now, our conscience can be askew, right? If we choose to believe lies over and over and over again, then we will, we will as it were, reprogram our conscience to a false standard. And our consciences can even become numb Scripture says seared by continual sin so that we no longer, with the same intensity at least, feel guilt and shame. We've heard and seen in in various uh, documentaries and so forth, psychopaths get to this level where their conscience is completely seared. But most people the world over, know the basics of right and wrong because their conscience accuses and within the person's own being, within their own consciousness, declares them guilty before God. It's tough to live with a guilty conscience, isn't it? Uh, with a impure conscience. In fact, our greatest need is to have a clean conscience, because our greatest need is to have our guilt before God cleansed and removed, that we might be, as Scripture says, reconciled to Him. But the question is, how? How can I come to God and be received by Him, and reconciled to Him when we feel so dirty? How can we be at peace with God when our conscience incessantly stabs at us with reminders of sin, and lust, and greed, and ambition, and selfishness, and idolatry? All things that we know are wrong. Well, that's exactly what Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14 in particular, deals with. We continue this morning in our study through the letter of, to the Hebrews. This letter, if you boiled it down, is the author's plea with his readers, don't forget who Jesus is. Because who he is changes everything. Who he is, what he's done, radically impacts and changes our lives. Today we're going to see That by understanding and remembering who Jesus is, we can have a clean conscience. I want to talk to you about how to get a clean conscience. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 through 14. The takeaway truth from these 14 verses is this only the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forever remove our guilt and cleanse our conscience. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship, and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Now that was a mouthful, wasn't it? Uh, there was a lot of description of, of, of in this case, the, 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 old, the tabernacle of the Old Testament. And so I want you to take a look at a couple of pictures here. First of all, this is just sort of a, a basic diagram of the tabernacle. And if you start out here at this outer curtain, if you will, you go into the outer court, and there's the altar of burnt offerings. Uh, this was the area uh, that would be used on, on a daily basis, the, the, um, the bath there. And then you would go into what was called the Holy of Holies. And there was the lampstand. Uh, There was the table of uh, the bread of presence. There was the altar of incense just outside the Holy of Holies where on the far left is the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence dwelt. So let's think through these different parts of the Holy of Holies, the holy holy place and then the most holy place. First there was the lampstand. It was lit day and night uh, as a reminder of God's continual presence with them. Uh, It it, has seven candle holders there. uh, And the Mishnah tells us that it's supposed to look like the tree of life. Uh, It's interesting in Revelation that image of the lampstands are picked up. And Jesus is said to be standing among the lampstands of the seven churches of Asia Minor. Then there was the table of the bread of presence. Uh, this table had 12 loaves of bread on it, called the bread of presence. wonder why there was 12. Because there was 12 tribes, and there's a loaf for each uh, tribe. The, the picture there, of course, was God's presence, that, that he was with them. It's interesting, in most religions, the people leave bread for their God at the altar as if to feed their God. Uh, you, you go around the world, you see this in, in so many different religions. It's supposed to symbolize, uh, however, in, in, in this case, in Israel's case, in the case of the, true, the one true and living God, this bread symbolizes God's giving to them. It was called the bread of presence, promising that he would always be with them, and by his presence, provide for them. Finally, just before the curtain, before the veil, there was the altar of presence. stood right in front of the Holy of Holies. It represented two things. It was another barrier, as it were, between them and God, but also that their prayers were like that incense burned, always going up before Him. Separating the holy place from the most holy place was a curtain it it was it was its name literally meant shut off, which was exactly what the veils veil did. It it separated the people from the 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 visible and living presence of God. It was a really thick veil, about four inches of woven material thick. It was woven of seventy-two cords, each with twenty-four strands. They were blue and red and purple. Layers of overlapping material, so that the place where the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, was, it was was an absolute, unapproachable darkness except for the Shekinah glory that shone within. In the Holy of Holies, behind the veil, was only one piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. It was covered with gold and And in it you would find a golden urn that contained, uh, the Old Testament tells us, that contained some manna that had fallen from heaven, the bread that had come down from heaven to feed the Israelites during their wandering in the wilderness. It also had held Aaron's rod that had budded and the tablets of stone on which had been inscribed the Ten Commandments. On top of the ark itself there were two cherubim which stood like guards, Guarding entry to the presence of God. Into that Holy of Holies, the text says only one priest, the high priest, would enter and only one time a year on a day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. By the way, that was September 25th this year, just passed. On that day, the high priest would go in and sprinkle the blood of of an animal sacrifice upon the lid of the ark, of the covenant, Uh, the top of the ark, which is between and under the cherubim. And that lid was what was known as the pure gold mercy seat. Uh, That was where the blood went to make atonement for the sins of the people. Verse 8 continues, By this, that is, by this separation of the veil between the holy place and the most holy place, By this separation, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Our greatest need is a clean conscience. And right here, the author of Hebrews says, And yet, all of the Old Testament sacrifice, it could cleanse them outwardly. It could cleanse them temporarily, but it could never cleanse the conscience of the worshiper. But deal, verse 10... What were all those sacrifices and offerings about? They deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. What do you think the time of Reformation might be? Let me give you a hint. It's got something to do with Jesus. It's referring to the time Jesus came and made all the old things new replaced the Old Covenant, as we talked about last week, with the New Covenant. So the Old Testament tabernacle, with all of its sacrifices, all of its uh, symbolic and and, and shadow-like realities, was never able to deal with our greatest need, a guilty conscience before Holy God. It was all external. But at the same time, it did symbolize... What was needed internally, spiritually, and what would be accomplished when the Messiah came and lived, died, and rose again for his people when the time of reformation by Messiah occurred. Well, we know he came. He came. Let me say that again. He came. Hallelujah. He came. You and I have the privilege of living in the time of reformation. The time when all the old has been replaced with the new. The time when what could never cleanse the conscience has been set aside. And something that can, in fact, as we'll see in a few minutes, eternally cleanse our conscience and free us to serve the living God was ushered in. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared. Remember what he's just said in verse 10. None of that stuff in the Old Covenant, none of, the, none of the, the worship of the tabernacle could perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Only dealt with stuff outwardly for the body until the time of Reformation. Verse 11, but when Christ appeared. As a high priest of the good things that have come. Then, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Everything changed when Jesus came. No longer was it sacrifices that just took care of things temporarily and externally that could, never, that could never perfect the conscience of the worshiper. It could never change our hearts and cleanse us. Now Christ has appeared. And he didn't just make a sacrifice in that earthly tabernacle or that Temple there in Jerusalem. He went straight to the presence of the Father. He entered the heavenly tent. As we talked about last week. And there he one, once for all. He offered himself. The perfect Lamb of God. And in doing so took away the sins of the world. Secured an eternal redemption. It's interesting. Each piece of the tabernacle. Uh, we, we've been talking about. All of the Old Testament worship, it was a a, a what of reality, the reality to come? A shadow of the reality to come. Uh, The Old Testament tabernacle and temple was patterned after the real thing in heaven. It was a copy of heavenly reality. It's interesting, each piece of the tabernacle, furniture was a shadow of Christ, if you will. Jesus was the lampstand that brought the light of God to us. In, in, In John 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Those who know him, Scripture says, will walk in the light of his life. Jesus was the table of showbread, or the bread of the presence. Jesus said in John 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Also in John 1 verse 14, uh, the scriptures say that, that Jesus, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word translated dwelt there is the word that also be translated tabernacled among us. His, God's presence came to us in Christ. He, was, he is the bread of presence. The curtain, scripture makes clear, was a symbol of his flesh. Torn in the crucifixion so we could enter the presence of God. At the crucifixion, you'll remember, a Roman soldier saw the curtain torn in two, symbolizing that the way unto God had been opened. Matthew 27, verse 51 says, As Jesus died, the, the curtain, behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, listen, from top to bottom, and the earth shook, And the rocks were split. What happened in that moment? What happened in the moment of Jesus' death? God reacted to to, to, to the finished work of Christ on the cross by ripping the curtain from top to bottom. Why is that important? Because nobody could reach the top. I mean, again, this is four inch thick cloth. I don't think, I'm pretty sure they didn't have any scissors that would cut that. But even if they could have, could have, they couldn't have reached the top. God's hand ripped the curtain. God tore the veil. Thus saying, just like my son's body was ripped apart for your salvation, so now because he died in your place, because he paid for your sin, the way to my presence has been fully opened up. Can you imagine how they freaked out in the temple that day? Nobody but the high priest had ever seen the Holy of Holies. They'd never looked behind the veil. Hebrews 10, verses 19 and 20, we've read it before, and we're probably going to read it again uh, for our studies over. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh. What's the author saying? Jesus body that 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 tabernacle curtain that the the veil of the temple that represented Jesus body when Jesus body was broken when his body was torn open in the crucifixion, so was the way into the presence of God. The death of Christ opened the way so that you and I can boldly approach the throne of grace. Again, in Old Testament terms, we get to run. The common man, just a, just a run-of-the-mill follower of Jesus Christ, can run to the throne of the living God. It'd been like a common Israelite barreling through into the Holy of Holies. Didn't, couldn't happen back then. Why? Because Christ had not yet made His once-for-all sacrifice. The way had not yet been opened for us. We didn't have a real mediator. Remember, Old Testament priests had to sacrifice not only for our, the sins of the people, but for what? Their own sins. You and I have a mediator who has opened the door to the very presence of the living God. And every time you and I simply... Look to heaven, bow our heads, however it is you, whatever posture you take when you pray. When I say, Father, I'm there. I'm there. It's as if I am in his lap on the throne where he sits. I don't know if y'all are quiet because you're in awe, but, but quiet's okay. But amen's good too. Can you imagine? Do you realize every time you bow your head and pray, Father, it's as if we're there. That doesn't have to be translated by anybody. It have to go through anybody. There's, there's nobody, I, you know, I don't need to go find a priest. You don't need to call me to pray for you. You can talk directly to the Father. And here's the deal. We've already, been ta- we've already talked about this Jesus is our forerunner. He's already gone and sits at the Father's right hand. It's not just as if one day we will be there. Our prayers go straight to him. But one day, with Jesus as our intercessor, one, one day we will be in his presence. We will sit on the throne with Christ as we saw last week. And so Jesus, his body was the was the curtain. This may be my favorite part. Jesus was the mercy seat. Jesus is our mercy seat. He's the mercy seat where His blood was sprinkled so that we could find forgiveness of sins. Romans 3 alludes to this. I don't know if you've ever seen this in Romans 3. I, I, I had not till I... Uh, Has some help. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by grace, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom, speaking of Jesus, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. To be received by faith. You've heard me talk a lot about that word propitiation, but one thing that I, I don't know that I've ever uh, talked about there is, is a connection to the word propitiation, from the word propitiation back to the mercy seat of the tabernacle. I don't talk a lot about what it means, things mean in the Greek or this and that. Right. Sometimes, though, there's a, there's a point, so I want you to stay with me just a second. The Septuagint was, in that day, the Old Testament in Greek. Originally, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? The language of the Jews. It was a Greek-speaking world, and so the Old Testament was translated into Greek, and, and, and the Septuagint is what that was called. And in the Septuagint, well, let me make another connection. So the Septuagint was the Greek Old Testament. What language was the New Testament written in originally? Greek, also. Written later during the Greek, that Greek time in the world. The word used for mercy seat in the Greek Old Testament is the same Greek word Paul uses here for propitiation. Paul knew both languages... Paul knew Hebrew. He was well-versed in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament as well. And he was being used by God at this point to write part of the New Testament. Jesus, God put Jesus forward as our mercy seat. He is that place where with his own blood, sin was atoned for. He is our propitiation. It's interesting as you see these parallels with, between the tabernacle and the work of Jesus. In John 20, verse 12, John says that, that, there, that there were two angels in the tomb, one at the head and one at the foot of where Jesus was laid. Do you remember that passage? Well, was something I'd never caught before sounds a whole lot like the cherubim on the ends of the mercy seat, on either side of the mercy seat. There on, in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant. Jesus' slain body became our mercy seat where we find forgiveness of sins. And lastly, though it's not specifically mentioned in, in the text we're in here, Jesus was the scapegoat. After they offered uh, sacrifice for sins, they, would, they had this symbolic um, ritual they would do. And in essence, they would, they would lay on a goat the sins of the people, and they would send the goat into the wilderness. Jesus was that scapegoat. Jesus carried away our sins forever. As far as the east is from the west, hidden in the depths of the sea, they're not merely covered over. They are gone forever. I think of 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, where it says, For our sake He, that is the Father, made Him, that is the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, The Lord has laid on Him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all, and He took our sins away. How did He do it? He he did it by dying outside the gate, on the cross, in our place. Jesus took away our sins forever. What the tabernacle and the temple gave Israel as a shadow, Christ fulfilled and gave us as an eternal reality. He made an end to sin, the scripture says, and sat down forever. His work is finished. Look at verses 13 and 14. We read this at the beginning of the service. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, how much more will his blood purify our conscience From dead works to serve the living God. Our greatest need is to have a clean conscience. Our greatest need is to have our guilt removed. That our conscience can be clean before holy God. And in Christ, through His death, by His blood, God has purified our conscience if we trust Him. J.I. Packer said... How is it possible for, how, how, how it is possible for Jesus to bear our penalty, we do not claim to know. Any more than we know how it is possible for him to be made man, but that he bore our sin, that he bore our penalty, is the certainty on which all our hopes rest. Notice, though, in verse 14, we're not just forgiven. He purified our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. We're not just forgiven of our sin, we're purified. We're purified. Forgiveness means that we're released from the negative consequences of our guilt. Purified means that we are given an exalted position of righteousness. We're not just forgiven, but made righteous and pure. Even by the blood of Jesus Christ only. The blood of Jesus is sufficient to forever remove our guilt and cleanse our conscience. Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' sacrifice of himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world there in the heavenly holy of holies, it took care of our greatest need by eternally redeeming us and thus purifying our conscience, cleansing us from all our guilt, that we might be freed from the dead works of religion to serve the living God in the freedom of the gospel. What are these dead works? Well, they're the dead works of religion. Religion is the attempt to motivate people to to do good works on the basis of their feelings of guilt. Why do people? Uh, why are people so drawn to re, to religion? Because our greatest need is a clean conscience. Our problem is as humanity is, we're sinners, and therefore we have defiled consciences. We need to be. We need to have our guilt purged. We need to be made righteous. We're not. And so all over this planet, people create religions, run to appease God to somehow earn something, a right standing with God to somehow fix their conscience the gospel calls people to good works on the basis of the forgiveness of our guilt religion says do 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 so hopefully you can be forgiven in the end problem is you can never be sure you've done enough. How would you ever know if you had been good enough or or made up for all the bad you'd already done sufficiently? You can never know. The gospel calls us to live out our lives in good works on the basis of the forgiveness given as a gift. God gives us his grace in Jesus. Because of that grace, We want to follow Him and serve Him. Religion says you're obviously feeling guilty and dirty and defiled, so here's what you need to do. Go to work for God. Give more. Pray more. Serve more. The gospel says the problem isn't that you feel guilty. The problem is that you are guilty. So here's what you need to do. You need to receive by faith the work God in Christ has already done for you because you can never be good enough. As believers, as those who trust Jesus as our Savior, our righteousness, our Redeemer, we don't serve Him to get a clean conscience by trying to be good. It'll never work. We serve Jesus from a clean conscience, from a clean conscience that He gives us as a gift, a gift He's given us through His life, death, and resurrection in our place. The story is told about John Newton. Everybody know the hymn, Amazing Grace? John Newton wrote that. He wrote it after God saved him from being a horrific slave owner. A godless man treated his slaves like animals, and yet God saved him as a redeemed man. John Newton, knowing his past life was sin and and, and awful, John Newton would go regularly to the slave auction. Not to buy more slaves to treat as he had as a lost man, a man without Christ, but to purchase slaves and set them free. And over and over and over again, he would do this. He He would go to the slave block, just like he'd always done, And the slaves on the block would fear because they knew his reputation from the past, and yet they began to get learn of his new reputation. He would purchase them off the slave block. And he would set them free. What a picture, amen. On one of those occasions, he purchased a young lady slave. He set her free. And she stood there. And he said, You're free to go. And she stood there. He didn't understand if she didn't understand what he was saying, what was going on. And after a few minutes, she looked him in the eyes and said, I choose to go with you. You see, we don't serve Jesus to get a clean conscience. To be made free. We serve Jesus because he's made us free. And we look at what he's done. And we say, I choose to go with you. I don't have to serve you to earn heaven. I want to walk with the one who died for me. I want to walk with the one who gave his body to be broken for me that a new and living way might be opened up, that direct access to his presence might be mine. Not because of who I am or anything that I could ever do or, and in spite of all that I am and all that I've done, all because of who he is and what he's done. John Newton would later write these lines, our pleasure and our duty, our pleasure and our duty do you often think of those two things as the same? I mean, about like you think of work. <laughs> Most of us work. You're, you know, your work versus your, your hobbies, right? You don't think of those two. Our, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen His beauty, are joined apart no more. To see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear His pardoning voice, transforms a slave into a child and duty into choice. Having been cleansed of all of our guilt through the blood of Jesus, we now have a pure conscience and we're freed to joyfully choose to serve our Father. You see, only the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forever remove our guilt and cleanse our conscience, freeing us to serve the living God. Has your conscience been cleansed by Jesus? It's a gift. Jesus is saying to you through this message, I want to free you from the guilt of your sin." I want to set you free. I died to set you free. I died to cleanse your conscience, to take away your real guilt, to remove it from you. I paid for that guilt. The work of salvation is finished. Jesus paid it all. He's saying to you today, you can come and you can have once and for all your conscience cleansed. Will you come to him today? You may be here today and your conscience is absolutely eating you alive. You know you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You know that today you stand condemned, justly condemned before holy God. You know that if you were to die right now, you would for eternity bear the eternal everlasting wrath of Almighty God and that God would be right in so doing. If that's where you are today, you don't have to stay there. Jesus came to save you. The wrath of God is on all who have sinned against Holy God. The wrath of God was on all of us who know Him today. But Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. The world's already condemned. I came that the world, through me, might be saved. All you have to do is run to Him today, trust Him today. But know this there's no other place to run. Only the blood of Jesus is sufficient to forever remove our guilt and cleanse our conscience and free us to serve by choice and out of joy the living God. Won't you come to Him today? Let's pray. Father, for the gospel, we praise You. For the blood of Jesus, we thank You. What a privilege to be able to stand every day before you and know that we are fully accepted in Christ know that you see us as as righteous as Jesus is because you've clothed us in his righteousness to know that there is for us no who are in Jesus who've trusted Christ there is therefore now no condemnation ever again from holy god because Jesus paid it all. Or when we have a clean conscience before holy God. We don't have to fear anything. Not even death. How we praise you for the gospel. God I pray today. If there's anyone in the room who's yet to come and cry out to you for a clean conscience. The forgiveness of all their sins. The removal of of real guilt before you. I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, that they would run to you. That even now your spirit would change their heart. Take out a heart of stone. Put in a heart of flesh. These are the blessings of the new covenant. God, we pray you would make those real in the life of someone today. Even as we sing, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we worship in song. The altar's open for you to come. Respond to the gospel just however you need to. Maybe you need to know him today. I'll be right here at the front. Come talk to me. Let me me introduce you to Jesus. Let me help you. Let God give you, cleanse your conscience. Brothers and sisters in Christ, church, you know, sometimes we allow our, our hearts to be accused, don't we? John talks about that in the New Testament. Sometimes we need this reminder of the gospel. We have been given a clean conscience. Our guilt has been removed. Are we living in that freedom? Don't settle for any less. i That is our hope and our reality in Christ today. You may be seated for just a moment. A uh, couple of quick announcements.